0: All right, we're in Numbers 26, and it's actually a long passage. So we're going to read it on our own. Um, it's um, it's uh, the second uh, census of uh, the Book of Numbers. Uh, the uh, people are counted again, or the at least uh, males over 20 years old are counted again. So please read the passage, and uh, if you can recall. Um, Try to think about, like, maybe what are the differences um, from this census and the one that was taken in the early chapters of Numbers. Okay, if um, you want to keep reading and thinking, but you saw or thought of some differences, either put it in the text or I'm in the chat or uh, share them out loud. Okay, hey, thanks, Matt. Um, or, or Lucy started. Uh, Levites were counted in census number. Yeah, um, I think the Levites were counted as well, but in a separate part uh, in, in the earlier chapters. But yeah, um, they, they are separated here. And then um, the observation that uh, only um, Caleb and Joshua uh, were counted in both censuses, right? So uh, from the Matthew box, uh, what does that signify?
1: it's just easier to talk um well for me it signified that um well one what god had said um, came to pass um and, and then the second was um that god was willing to quote unquote start over and um fulfill you know the promise to bring them to the promised land but with people who were um uh, willing to be part of that
0: yeah that's great indeed the the, the uh, pronouncement of god that not one of those who rebelled right um part of the first census and rebelled refused to go in would ever make it right so they have all uh deceased um uh, during the 40 years and then it's like god is beginning like starting over with uh, a new group right that, that that's the census signifies kind of uh, a new start. So chapter 25 ends with kind of the shameful uh, incident uh, the uh, Israelite fraternization with the Midianite Mo- Moabite women. So um, uh, we talked about that last time, how they uh, consorted uh, with each other and uh, the result was well, there was a plague, right? And uh, 24,000 died. And uh, scholars think that that's kind of finished, (laughs) wiped out or finished up the, you know, the the, the death, the the dying of the uh, first census um, people. And so uh, right after we get the second census, and um, these are all those who were uh, males at least who were uh, less than 20 years old. So at most they were 19 at the time of the first census. If you tack on 40 years and the oldest so the oldest counted male in the second census would have been 59, right, 59 years old. So um, they are younger, they are the new or second generation, I'll call them throughout our talk today. I think I'll refer to them as the second generation. Good. Uh, other observations, questions, things to point out about the census.
2: You see that the population from both census are pretty comparable, uh, but there's one kind of very big anomaly, which is the tribe of Simeon got a lot smaller. It went from like about 50 something K to 22 something K. Everybody else kind of was pretty steady, a little bit up, a little bit down, but Simeon was like drastically much smaller. You know, not sure what the significance of that is, but you know, it's there.
0: Good good um, I was gonna actually if I time gonna do a poll how many people think that the net number went up or down Dave's right it's it's actually pretty similar first census and second census but um, all of you that well not all of you I don't know if you're close to your but if you think that the census we will do a little poll if you think the census went up uh, throw up throw an emoji uh, like a thumbs up emoji. If you think it went down, okay. Let's do it that way. If you think it went up, put a thumbs up emoji. If you think it went down, put a whatever that round O emoji is. So we got one up, one down. Okay, two two, uh, three four. Gonna pay attention here. Three five, three six, three seven. Eight. Now this assumes you didn't like look at. <laughs> I mean, if, if, if you yeah, actually compare the numbers, so I would have followed what Dave wrote because you know, Dave, did you put one up? Did you put in uh, an O or a thumbs up?
2: Yes, I put an O.
0: Okay, because he actually looked at the numbers. So, <laughs> unless Dave doesn't know how to. You know, compare numbers yeah it went down but not by much it went down 1820 which is kind of amazing right that, 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 that change was on, only that so I it was just the way that I was looking at it was if all those you know first generation uh, fighters had not rebelled it would have been a, a, a very large number right that the Israelites would have been swarming even more than they were but uh, because of their unfaithfulness right that knocked out uh, so many, uh, just uh, you know, the, a whole generation of, of them. So, um, and, and Dave is right. Um, the tr- actually um, the 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 book that I read said five tribes uh, decreased, right? Reuben, Simeon, Gad, Ephraim, Naphtali, and the other seven increased. But the big net change was um, Simeon. And uh, anybody want to offer a possibility? reason, we'll we'll never know for sure. But did uh, did a Simeonite ever come up in your recollection? So back in chapter 25, um, the guy who was stabbed along with this Midianite woman was um, was a Simeonite, right? Uh, the one that Phinehas uh, executed. So not sure if there's a connection, but um, there it is. Good, other uh, things, what else do people see? Uh, some of them are not, um, some of the, I just call them editorial inclusions. Uh, some of them are not um, let's say, related to the names of the tribal or clan leaders, right? But they they appear. Uh, so uh, one of them is, of course, uh, verse 10. Um, it It's a reference to Korah and his followers, right? When they, uh, Korah and 250 men, when they rebelled against Moses and Aaron and God, and God judged them by... Um, there was a fire that uh, consumed those who were offering unauthorized incense there was the ground opening up and um you know the, the families uh, being destroyed so you know as you read this and think about this i think the expectation would be that they were wiped out but no actually they they're included in in, in this list um their their descendants and think later on, you'll see their names come up as um, legitimate inheritors. So the sins of Korah did not impact the faithfulness of God to uh, the, the people uh, that descended from him. So that, that's one point. Um, another kind of editorial inclusion is the mention of Ur and Onan, verse 19. Um, Ur and Onan uh, I'll go all the way back to... Uh, um judah right uh jacob's uh, one of jacob's sons the fourth son a prominent judah becomes a very important um kind of patriarch um and we don't have time to get into that but er and onan were his first two sons and um there was uh, god took ur's life so onan was supposed to marry Er's. Uh, ur's um widow, whose name was Tamar. It's chapter 38 from Genesis, right? But he did, he was wicked and so God put him to death and then there was a uh, the whole interesting and a little bit kind of, you know, sordid tale uh, but uh, there, there's some fascinating repercussions uh, of of Judah's role in, in Joseph, Joseph's story and then uh, Tamar actually ends up um, being um, counted right in jesus's ancestry right she's a great great grandmother of jesus okay uh it's not clear why they're included but um i think it ha- probably has to do with this other difference in in i think the census is the the clans are identified right i, I believe that uh, that that's not present in the first census i think and uh Um, The clans are important, the commentators say, because that's how the inheritance would be ultimately distributed through the clanships, right? So that's going to be, so um, that's kind of uh, just technically um, the purpose, uh, the difference in purposes of the two senses, like they're both to count, you know, the population, they're both to number the fighting men, over twenty, there, they, there's that. We talk about significance of the first lost generation, the disobedient, stubborn one, and the faithful new second generation. So there's that, but there's also that this second census is also um, uh, one of the purposes is to um, anticipate the uh, allotment of land. Right? So we're going to see this is uh, this is uh, significant because in the next few chapters that we look at the inheritance questions begin to crop up. Right. Um, so there's kind of, let, let's say even a shift in not only authorial kind of, uh, of kind of, uh, what he wants us to, to, to consider, but also in the people's mindset, right? The second generation, is more inheritance-minded, whereas so they're future-oriented. Whereas the first generation was what they're always pining for Egypt. They are kind of like like locked in the past. Okay, so uh, we'll, we'll we'll elaborate that a little bit later on. But uh, even in, in, through the census, we can get some clues. Uh, and then related to that. Um, Point is um, uh, just you, you see the a change between Manasseh and Ephraim's order, right? Uh, it could mean that, so Manasseh and Ephraim are brothers. They're both sons of Joseph. And so one of them takes Joseph's place in the 12 tribes and the other takes Levites. The Levites become—they don't—they're not counted in the twelve, right? Their inheritance is God, and the and the responsibility privilege of handling the tabernacle and the temple. They're given cities, right? In each of the twelve tribes, they themselves aren't a tribe for inheritance purposes. So Manasseh and Ephraim become that, and uh, Manasseh is going to come out quite a bit in the next uh, few studies because um, their the inheritance questions regarding. Uh, a guy named Lofahad, he had no uh, male heirs, he only had five daughters. And it's really cool how they kind of um, uh, come to Moses and they talk about their father's inheritance. Uh, and then Manasseh shows up again when um, some of the tribes request their inheritance on the east side of the Jordan, the tra- uh, what's called Trans Jordan. Anyway, those were some of the things to uh, kind of look at. Anything else you guys see there, or any questions you have um, about the census itself? One last observation I would make is just kind of the location of it, right? One was at Mount Sinai. That was pretty soon uh, after the crossing of the Red Sea. That's where the law was given, right? That's the... um, Even in proximity, it was closer to Egypt, whereas this one is on the plains of Moab, right? So there's parallels here, right? You have the the first census and the second census. You have proximity to Egypt, you have proximity to Canaan, you have the giving of the law to Moses and then Moses to the people, and then it's on the plains of Moab where Moses speaks Deuteronomy right Deuteronomy is his teaching/ slash speaking it's the uh, Deutero is second in means second in Greek and nomos means law so it's the second giving of the law. so what Moses um, had given the first generation at Mount Sinai um, is now repeated to the second generation on the plains of Moab prior, uh, prior to their entry. Uh, into Canaan. So yeah, as again, Josephine uh, alerted us to this is the beginning of a, of a second generation. Okay, so let, let, let's kind of put our heads together and hearts together to think through that. Um, what can we say? Or what do you guys think were the main differences between the first and second generations? Um, what, uh, what do you think? Uh, was it? i mean they there is it are kind of yeah what what made their responses and what made their experiences what why were they so different i feel like um you know um we can if you can think if you can remember all that happened to the first generation versus the second generation um how does If you, how would we explain why they were so different? Or another way to ask it is, how come we needed a second generation? What was wrong with the first generation? Or what was so right about the second generation? Again, uh, verbal or tech or chat, fine.
1: I think one of the big differences you already talked about, which is the first generation always had their eyes on Egypt. And even though they were slaves there um, and they had experienced um, being freed from that slavery, I think um, so much of their lives were still, or their mindset perspectives were still based on that. The second generation, um, they didn't have that they might have had the oral traditions or uh, his um, stories uh, passed down, but they didn't, they didn't experience that. Um, so in there, I get a sense that they're, they're freer to um, accept the possibilities of what God can do. And especially since they, they're in it with Moses and, and um, you know, the, the mantra is always, you know, going towards the promised land. So I think that that is a big mindset difference.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's very helpful. So in a sense, like the second generation was born free, whereas the first was born in slavery. And um, somehow they couldn't kind of, at least the first generation couldn't break out of that mentality. Is that is that, is that a fair either a restatement or uh, extension of what you're saying, Joe? Good. Other thoughts?
2: Uh, I would say the at least the first generation, they saw idolatry as the norm during the formative parts of their life, which is the earlier parts of their life. Right. Whereas the second generation, the, the the formative parts of their lives, they actually saw kind of God work on a regular basis. basis. I mean, if nothing else, just seeing manna coming down every day. And so, um, you know, it's it, not to say that the first generation didn't see God work. You know, they've definitely seen God work and they've seen him do, you know, the 10 plagues and so forth. But um, I, I don't know if, you know, there's something about seeing it later in your life versus earlier in life, perhaps, that, um, you know, affects how you think and feel about it. You know, maybe just the fact that the second generation was exposed to it so early that they were anticipating, expecting, Um, but the first generation because, you know, Egypt was idolatrous, right? So they were kind of raised, you know, with that more idolatrous mindset.
0: I like that a lot, David. Thank you. Um, I was actually thinking along the same lines, and just trying to. Uh, I'm not sure my my thoughts are fully formed on this, but um, kind of thinking about our own. Those of you that are parents and are trying to raise kids, and we as a church, as we get older, and you know, um, we we continue to have um, you know students and grad students and singles and all that. But you know, as the as the families uh, have you know, Joyland and the kids are now you know uh we have we had kids that were born in our church and they now are college age or you know high school age um all that kind of stuff so this is i think on the parents mind at least and and, and on the leadership mind of uh, of just kind of how do we uh best um continue best um you know um, um, raise up uh you know future generations and you know the israelite example is is pretty harsh but the way that god raised the second one was getting by getting rid of the first (laughs) yeah Uh, so i hope we don't follow in their footsteps but um still um i I was thinking that sometimes you know uh, parents have asked me over the years or i myself have asked you know how you know um what's best for our kids. And, you know, I've had parents ask me, like, you know, do we have to really kind of pressure our kids to come to church or um, shouldn't it be kind of like up to them if they don't want to come? You know, it's just probably questions that all parents go through, but I thought uh, the answer that or the, what David was saying, and and what, what I was thinking about was, you know, growing up in, an environment where God is really trusted. I don't I don't necessarily mean a religious environment or a church environment even but let's say where God is really evident and present and and working even in like a daily manner kind of a way that um, that uh, it seemed here that the the outcome was. Different certainly and I would argue better than it was in, in the formative years of of Egypt, which, you know, both were uh, as we talked about slavery and as they pointed out idolatry so yeah I don't know if any, anyone wants to kind of do a tangent and, and, and reflect on that I, I'd be open to take that tangent now. Um, or you can just let that let that settle in and uh, yeah, but thank you that was, that was good.
3: Um, I guess it it just kind of maybe it makes me think about how it's it's hard to like it's hard to it's hard to change as an individual person um, you know that's difficult in itself but like I think it's even more harder to change like as a group so if you have like a certain way of behaving as a group or certain sort of cultural norms or practices or dysfunctionalities or something that to change that, it's like, it takes more than just one person coming to a realization and changing. There has to be a kind of like concert, or there has to be kind of like a a collective shift in thinking. Um, And I don't know, just in my... (laughs) whatever half of life that i've lived it it seems like that's kind of hard and like even just in the like um i don't know sort of mundane like um you know working life context or corporate context like they talk about like you know change management and culture change and like it's a recognized to be like a very difficult problem and when i when i look at in my own workplace the kinds of things that I don't know if any of my colleagues are here, but like in the in in my workplace, right? That there um that there are certain things that don't work well, um, and usually the reasons why it's because of the people who've been around the longest, right? So uh, you know, I don't know if that means the solution always is that you you just have to get rid of those people, but um, I mean, I think that. You know, for the Israelites, like that, it wasn't enough. I guess to just sort of get rid of a few bad apples, like that. That was the the scale of the, you know, sort of how difficult the problem is of like group change. I guess I don't know. I was thinking.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, Peter. Um, I think there's a lot there. Um, so, um, you know, I was thinking. Also, I think similar to you, uh, uh, at least the question arose in my mind is, why did God need an entire generation? You know, like why, does, why did the entire first generation have to be wiped out and the entire second generation almost kind of ushered into blessing? Although, you know, I'm sure there were bad apples uh, and maybe some okay apples in the first generation too uh, and stuff. So I, I don't know the answer to that. Like, I think we could like opine. Or it kind of suggests that, you know, God works in kind of ways or epochs or cohorts or generations. Uh, sometimes, I'm not sure he works every single time. I'm not sure that could be a principle. But in this instance, um, it seemed like, yeah, the, the, the ethos or the culture, as you mentioned, it really involved like everybody. Either everybody for the bad or everybody for the good. And I'm not sure that that happens uh, every time, but here it seemed to be kind of lumped together like that. Um, so that was something. Yeah, I was kind of also mud- muddling. Yeah, is that the word? <laughs> I was kind of you know thinking through. And then you know what you said uh, about um, it's hard to. It takes a lot of effort, like a lot of concerted effort and commitment and. I guess you know, just staying the course to kind of uh, do something that is, um, uh, you know, positive and godly and and, and faithful. Um, yeah, I, I think I totally agree with that. That you know, everybody needed to chip in. Everybody needed to kind of um, push themselves and and work harder than maybe they naturally would. Um, but then the flip side of that is, a negative cultural change seemed to be so easy, right? The the, the mob mentality, the the kind of like, you know, the, the, the swift descent into rebellion, the constant complaint, like one person could, you know, like Korra suddenly had 250 followers, you know, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So I don't know. Um, again, I, I, I'm not sure we can generalize and, and, and establish a tenant but um uh, sin seems to um bring uh like compatriots uh, uh they amass easily they 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 flock together uh it's it's you can tear tear people down like if people here wanted to do something negative against god each other against pastor whatever <laughs> against against you know uh, you know one person here i feel like yeah, sometimes that's so easy to do. You see examples of people turning against each other. But then, the, as Peter pointed out, trying to accomplish something uh, positive and fair and, and, and honorable, it's just, it's like, you know, climbing, a, a, you know, I don't know, a, a Mount Everest. Um, and, and I feel like we're seeing that on a national scale, right? Like the descent into Finger pointing, name calling, um, you know, uh, stereotypes and and hatred. you we blinked and you know, America's at each other's throats, right? We hate each other and and I don't know how we coexisted, you know, for so long. I'm, I'm surprised there's not more mass killings and more civil war and, and that kind of thing. Whereas you know, trying to cobble together a fabric, a tapestry of Tolerance and of mutual respect and of, of the right kinds of freedoms, it seems so fragile <laughs> to me. So, so, anyway, those are some of my musings. Others can, yeah, um, chime into that tangent <laughs> or, you know, introduce a new one that you guys thought about. Any other insights into like the first and second generations? what made them so different i did think about maybe it's the leadership maybe Moses' leadership is not as good as joshua's <laughs> but then i thought about well moses actually led the you know second generation for at least 40 years he led all, he led all of them right for 40 years so um if Half, if the first generation was bad and the second generation were good both of them were either influenced or you know hindered by Moses uh, that opportunity uh, for both of that um, you know at least while he was alive so uh, maybe it's not that it could be yeah
3: I mean I think that when we <laughs> I think we touched on this before right just but the fact that like Moses doesn't enter the promised land um, that's like such a kind of jarring part of the story and um, I don't know I, I guess I was wondering whether there's a kind of you know, even just thinking about the first and second generation just like an almost I don't know like an allegorical kind of understanding like if we think of like the um liberation from egypt as being a kind of uh sort of paradigmatic like salvation event that you know we're sort of in ourselves like slaves to sin and there's a certain mindset mentality that um we're sitting in that god saves us from but then you know there has to be like a sort of fundamental change in who we are like to really like enter into the promised land or i don't know live that life that god has promised and so i i don't know if there's like a i don't know i guess sometimes I, I just feel like i don't want to blame the people but just kind of think is is there some sort of like overall narrative reason like in terms of like god's i don't know what he's trying to teach us through like redemptive history that there's some sort of lesson there about yeah i don't know
0: yeah i mean that's great peter um because you know there is the, the passage about the red sea being like a baptism right so there has been um uh kind of um uh, interpretations that are offered that yeah egypt is a land of slavery idolatry right? and then liberation freedom is um, um the exodus and baptism in the red sea and then um the numbers wandering is like uh, some say it's a carnal life where uh, people um, they're they're saved they're christian but they continue to you know obey the sinful nature and there's no spiritual progress there's no growth right but as you pointed out we get stuck on moses we're saying that uh, and and then you know because by all measures except for this one 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 sin one error. We don't see him living like a worldly lifestyle. He's actually close to God, uh, but he doesn't go into the Promised Land. And then the question of what is the Promised Land? Uh, some commentators will say that uh, you know they'll call call the Jordan a um, it's it's a heavenly crossing. So the Promised Land is heaven, right? So then are you saying Moses didn't go to heaven and stuff? And then what about the people? You know, and, and so. Some people say no. It's the mature Christian life. It's the it's the spiritual life that God intended, right? That life of blessing, a life of provision, a life of trust, uh, and that's what what they experience. So um, I don't know how far to push an allegorical or anal- analogical kind of model here, but yeah, you know, that, that's something uh, to consider. Um, and. I'm not sure like causation issue, like whether it's God's redemptive manifestation or if it's, you know, their particular choices and, um, you know, the outcome, the the, the spiritual laws that uh, came into play or were enforced, By the people's choices and compatibilism will say both right that these were really their choices, but it's also God's will that that this happened so. um, That that, that's also, I think, a helpful way to think about it, yes.
2: And now that we brought up Moses like in some sense it fits right we actually we should categorize Moses with the first generation, because he did not enter the promised land and. The reason why the first generation and Moses were denied access was actually because of one event, right? I mean, yes, the first generation was rebellion quite a bit, right? But it all chalked up to one event where they, you know, they wailed and they refused to enter. And Moses, similarly, was one event, right? And um, You know, when we look at the second generation, we look at Joshua. I'm sure they're not perfect either. I'm sure there were many, you know, problems that they had, right? But I don't know if we can make a comment about maybe it was the the type or the way that, um, you know, the particular events that really, I don't know, take God off. (laughs) That he said no way. That. You know because I guess you know in Moses's case it was disobedience, right? And um, and when the people spread the bad report and they wailed and you know they refused to go up, I guess you can also say that's disobedient too. Um, you know, versus other things like you know idolatry, rebellion, or whatever, like God doesn't like it, but He seems to put up with it, like He doesn't say. Because of that, you're not going to enter the problem. So I, I don't know. You know, just you know, from that perspective, you know, maybe that's something that um, we can think about.
0: Yeah, um, we probably should. You know, that would require a lot of kind of, I think, review or careful study. Um, I have a couple couple of just quick um, reactions. Would be that. Um, I'm not sure that this will be, it's tough to kind of like, I mean, there is, let's say, and, and it's a it's an age-old question, is there a degree to sins? Like, are, are some sins worse than others, right? So is there, like, anywhere from the unpardonable sin, right, to let's say, rebellion, and then disobedience, and then, you know, white lies, whatever. If there's a spectrum, right, does that come into play in, in this instance in this uh, story in these stories or epoch um, where there was a trigger right and and, you know the Israelites had their trigger Moses had his trigger I don't know because I would argue that rebellion is worse than disobedience um, and stuff and I think Moses's error was um, far, far more like less harmful or, you know, far less, I don't want to say innocuous, but it was not as, you know, egregious as, as the people. So uh, I think there's something else going on with Moses. I think God held him to a higher standard. And so it was, this was between him and God and Moses, why he didn't go in. But with the people, it was much more, and I would argue that it, it wasn't just, it, it that was the, you know, the telltale event that was, where god declared they wouldn't go but i don't think there'd be any doubt for us right to to say that um almost on any given chapter (laughs) any given day the israelites this is who they were rebellious stubborn finger pointing disobedient and stuff so it wasn't like moses where he had a bad day you know sorry to use that term or he he made a a a very foolish mistake he he arrogated himself, you know, to God's authority when he shouldn't have. Um, I don't know. Maybe we could make an argument that he—that was kind of his pattern, but I don't think so. Um, as I think about it, so uh, that's uh, Dave. What you say, I think it gives gives us something to think about. I'm not sure that it's a smooth sailing though, right? As I think you point out. Well, great. I uh, Thank you for all the the thoughts. That I still. You know, I, I look. I've looked at this several times, and I thought this is like the probably yeah. I think the second or third time I'm teaching it, and, and it just makes me think about it. Um, here's where I'll just close up. Um, with was um, kind of um, the presence of God. I think this might go also to the idolatry and the, um the um, slavery, right? So I feel like the second generation, what benefited them and Dave kind of mentioned this and, and, and stuff uh, was the kind of, they saw God all the time, right? Um, the pillar of cloud and fire that led them, um, the the, 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 manna that, that, that was provided them. Um, you know, even though there, the, the adversity was there, even though, uh, life was harsh, even though God punished them, there were snakes and there were, it was just just a lot of a lot of you know nasty stuff happened, you know, to them as well, to the second generation as well. One thing that I felt like was really definitive, though, was that, and and just maybe Dave's words of formative, like, um, they knew God was there all the time. They might not have liked it, it might not have been pleasant, but you know, God was there. So, the presence of God i think really somehow seeped into who they were and what they became and what they would do right you know and it's not just osmosis right i'm not arguing suggesting it's osmosis they got spiritual but it made a difference whereas in the formative years or in, in many many years of the israelites the first generation and even earlier than that um their uh, life was not only characterized by the, you know, oppressor and the negativity and, and and, and the, you know, physical uh, suffering, but, you know, they cried out. You know, they were waiting, they, 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 they really, you know, felt, you know, viscerally that, you know, where was God uh, uh, in that. So, um, I don't know, I don't want to make this unapologetic for the first generation. I'm just I think I'm I, what I'm saying is that the second generation was more blessed. yeah, by the grace of God, they got to see and hear and, you know, experience God uh, more fully, uh, more regularly than yeah, you know, I think the first generation, their experiences were more intense. I, I would argue that, they saw god even more powerfully and more amazingly than the second generation did right those mir- those first generation miracles were like you know like just far out right they're just amazing uh, but because it that didn't seep into who they were daily and it didn't transform them right they 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 were kind of yeah their 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 minds and hearts were just you know a, a, a battleground for the, you know, Egypt idolatry and sinful warfare, uh, sinful nature and what God was uh, trying to do, right? So I think this connects to a little bit of what I was saying about um, you know, about growing up in in, in, you know, let's say in a Christian environment or something. Again, we know a lot of people that grew up in Christian homes or Christian environments or churches that you know, turn out far from God and still haven't returned. So I'm not suggesting that it necessarily is the automatic formula and we should impose that on all all immigrant churches (laughs) or churches that are multi-generational. I'm not suggesting, I'm saying that somehow the right track is to live in the presence of God, to bask in the blessings, to never take for granted, uh, you know, all of the opportunities and grace and, and um, solidity, faithfulness, uh, uh, permanence that God gives us. And I think we as New Testament Christians, we as post-Easter Christians, you know, that, that's, that's on us to really live out what's available, to really, you know, incorporate, inculcate, uh, immerse ourselves, our friends, our families our church, each other um, in, you know, this amazing permanent presence of God, right? You know, we should be like, you know, the 50th generation or the 5,000th generation from from the second, you know, what the Israelites, even when they were in Canaan, they they struggled because they're still learning God, but we have so much more at least information, at least knowledge, at least stories, at least testimonies, I don't think God is any different. Like he didn't, doesn't show up more now than he did later. or He's like more loving now. No, no, God is the same. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But you know, we have unparalleled, unprecedented, right, un, um, incomparable, um, really more. I think opportunity and, and blessings than so many others have had. So. Um, You know, it's uh, it's an age of grace. It's an age of God's, uh, you know, goodness uh, for us. So um, I'm hoping that that will inspire, strengthen, encourage, excite, uh, inspire, uh, burden, pressure, (laughs) all, uh, you know, us even more to, you know, to to love God, to, to serve Him, to... Worship Him, right to, to to exalt Him, to magnify Him, to, to glorify Him, right uh, because of that generational generational goodness and blessing. All righty, let's uh, close our time in prayer. Father, thank you for a chance to study uh, even a list of names, because um, it wasn't just uh, information that you had recorded; you had um, put down, or you were communicating yourself, you're communicating, um, revealing yourself and revealing truth, um, even to uh, the uh, Exodus and numbers generation, as we tried to give some thought and, and, and um, consideration to why there's such a big difference, the outcomes were so vastly different for these two uh, groups of people. I wonder where we might slot ourselves today where we might slot our 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 generation slot our church um lord i pray that uh, you who have uh, showered and um, poured out your blessings and goodness even when things are tough even in a pandemic uh, help us lord to really respond um, Help us to um, pass all the challenges. Uh, help us whenever you we face a Kadesh parnia, that, that we do not falter, that we do not rebel. That when you tell us to do something like speak to the rock, we don't uh, disobey. Um, help each of us to enter into our respective prom- promised lands. Help our church to enter its, into its inheritance. Um, help us to be counted in th- the the second census by your grace. Uh, In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.